The Olympic Games are an international multi-sport event where nations all over the world compete against each other in a multitude of competitions. The Olympic Games are held every four years with the Summer Games and Winter Games alternating by occurring each every four years, meaning there is at least one variety of games every two years. The Olympic Games are a symbol of international peace, cooperation, friendly yet competitive competition, of fair play, and of urban regeneration, but also an event of corruption, politics, commercialization, cheating, and waste. Yet, for all the criticism, the Olympic Games are a unique event going back right to the start of Western civilization. The Olympic Games are perhaps two inventions rolled into one. The ancient Greek invention and the invention of the modern Olympic movement. Both are worth looking at as they are almost separate inventions, with the latter being influenced of course by the former. So this podcast will be split into both the history and legacy of the ancient games and then the history and legacy of the modern games. Nobody is quite sure how the ancient Olympics began, as seems to be the way with these things. The most widely accepted fact is what we call the Olympics began in 776 BC on the plains of Olympia, the western part of Peloponnese. The Peloponnese being the peninsula of the southern mainland of Greece. Olympia had functioned as a meeting place for worship and other religious and political practices as early as the 10th century BC, and remains of food and burnt offerings date back to the 10th century BC give evidence of a long history of religious activity at the site. The Olympic site at Olympia is where the modern-day Olympic flame is lit several months before the opening ceremony. Once lit at Olympia, it is not put out until the closing ceremony. Now, as with most religions, when facts aren't at hand, we look towards myth and legend. And the earliest myths regarding the origins of the game are recounted by the Greek historian Pausanias. According to the story, the dactyl, a sort of mythological magician, Heracles and his four brothers, Paeonius, Epidemius, Aesis and Idas, raced at Olympia to entertain the newborn Zeus, whereupon Zeus crowned the victor with an olive tree wreath. Perhaps a more accurate explanation than this ancient Greek myth was that the ancient Olympics began during the Mycenaean Greek period, that being 1600 BC to 1100 BC, as large hunting games, and over time developed into a sporting contest featuring the various local communities. The figure of 776 BC is generally seen as somewhat accurate as the beginnings 
of a real ancient Olympics. Though some historians do state other dates, with some claiming these ancient hunting games should be counted as Olympic games. Nevertheless, for the sake of ease, we'll say the first Olympics took place in 776 BC. In the first 200 years of the Games' existence, they had only regional religious importance. Only the Greeks in proximity to the mountain of Olympia competed in the early Games. The beginning of the Games coincided with the time power in ancient Greece became centred on the city-state in the 8th century BC. The Olympic Games' religious importance waned over time, and the Games became a way for city-states in close proximity to each other to have natural competition. Not too dissimilar to today in how Manchester United play Liverpool or Barcelona play Real Madrid. Genuine city rivalries, where physical contact is of course a no-win situation, and sporting contests become the easiest and best way for this rivalry to manifest itself. The spread of Greek colonies in the 5th and 6th centuries BC is repeatedly linked to successful Olympic athletes. For example, Parsanius recounts that Cyrene was founded circa 630 BC by settlers from Thera with Spartan support. The support Sparta gave was primarily the loan of three-time Olympic champion Chionis. The appeal of settling with an Olympic champion helped to populate the colonies and maintain cultural and political ties with the city-states near Olympia. Therefore, Hellenic culture and the games spread whilst the primacy of Olympia persisted. The games were also used as a dating system used by many Greeks. Before this, every Greek city and policy had their own dating system, as you can imagine, causing quite the confusion. However, the dating system soon became the term Olympiad. For example, to describe the year 501 BC, as we'd call it, the Greeks would say the third year of the 68th Olympiad. During the Olympic Games, the famed Olympic truce was observed. Three runners were sent to the participant cities at each set of games to announce the beginning of the truce. During this period, armies were not allowed to enter Olympia, whilst legal disputes and the use of the death penalty were forbidden. At one set of games, however, as recalled by Thucydides, the fortress at Phyrus was attacked by Spartan forces, who were subsequently fined 200,000 drachmas, a heavy fine for the period when the average wage of a skilled worker was merely one drachma a day. The Spartans disputed the fine and claimed that the truce had not yet taken hold. The Olympic truce does, of course, not include an absence of politics, and therefore the Olympics were used as both propaganda victories for winning athletes and cities, and to announce alliances. 
as all of Greece was watching, it was easy for this to have an impact. Perhaps the most famous myth of the ancient Olympics comes from the first Persian invasion of Greece. Though the story has been butchered, misremembered and confused over time, this being the story of a runner during the Battle of Marathon. According to Herodotus, an Athenian runner named Pheidippides was sent to run from Athens to Sparta to ask for assistance before the battle. He ran a distance of over 225 kilometres, that's 140 miles, arriving in Sparta the day after he left. Following the battle, the Athenian army marched the 25 miles back to Athens at a very high pace, considering the quantity of their armour and the fatigue after the battle, in order to head off the Persian force sailing around Cape Soinian. They arrived back in late afternoon, in time to see the Persian ships turn away from Athens, thus completing the Athenian victory. Later, these two events became confused with each other, leading to a legendary but inaccurate version of events. This myth has Pheidippides running from Marathon to Athens after the battle to announce the Greek victory, whereupon he promptly died of exhaustion. When the idea of the modern Olympics was starting to become a possibility, the initiators and organisers were looking for a great unifying event to recall the ancient glory of Greece. The idea of organising a quote-unquote marathon race came from Michel Briot, who wanted the event to feature in the first modern Olympic Games in 1896 in Athens. The idea was heavily supported by Pierre de Coubertin, the founder of the modern Olympics, as well as the Greeks. This would echo the legendary version of events, with the competitors running from Marathon to Athens. So popular was this event that it quickly caught on, becoming a fixture at the Olympic Games. The distance eventually became fixed at 26 miles and 385 yards, and we'll get to the reasons for that in a moment. The distance of 26 miles was the approximate distance from Marathon to Athens. So, if you ever run a full or a half marathon, just be thankful that sometimes fake news and lies does pervade the media and our history books, otherwise you'd be running a lot, lot further. The Olympic Games evolved to be the most influential athletic and cultural stage in ancient Greece and arguably the ancient world. The ancient Olympic Games reached their zenith at the same time as the Greek Golden Age in the 6th and 5th centuries BC, but gradually declined in importance as the Romans gained power and influence in Greece. While there is no consensus as to when the ancient games officially ended, the most commonly said date is 393 AD, when Roman Emperor Theodonius I decreed that all pagan cults and practices should be eliminated.
But what do the ancient Olympics leave behind? Well, they left us the modern Olympics for a start. But they left ancient Greece a chance to come together through competition and conversation. Whilst we, in the 21st century, in the post-Westphalian idea of the nation-state, feel this is the natural way it should be, ancient Greece had no such ideas. Whether it be the shared ideas of citizenship or culture, there were no such things in ancient Greece. They shared the idea of being Greek, but the competition between the city-states was a strong enough divide to cause war, and far stronger than the general idea of being Greek. The Olympics was one of the few events to ever bring the Greeks together. The role of the Olympics in colonising other parts of the near abroad and founding cities such as Cyrene helped to spread Hellenic culture and Greek power, which is also a legacy of the Olympics. But my favourite legacy of the ancient Olympic Games is that while we have many Roman legacies from across the world, such as bridges, the Roman Catholic Church, the roads and many buildings, we have far fewer Greek legacies in the world, and for that fact, the ancient Olympics should be cherished. So, now we get on to the modern Olympics, which is thankfully easier to trace. There were stirrings of interest in refounding the Olympic Games as far back as the 17th century. The Cotswold Olympic Games were organised between 1612 and 1642, and has the distinction of being the first modern Olympic Games. The French also had a go at an Olympic Games, after the overthrow of the monarchy. They founded l'Olympique de la République, a national Olympic festival held annually from 1796 to 1798 in revolutionary France. In 1850, an Olympian class was started by William Penny Brooks at Much Wenlock in Shropshire, England. In 1859, Brooks changed the name to the Wenlock Olympian Games. Meanwhile, between 1862 and 1867, Liverpool held an annual Grand Olympic Festival. Created by John Hewley and Charles Melly, these games were the first to be wholly amateur in nature and international in outlook. The programme of the first modern Olympic Games in Athens in 1896 was almost identical to that of the Liverpool Olympics. But how did we get to the 1896 Olympics? So following Greek independence from the Ottomans in 1821, there was a revival of interest in ancient Greece amongst the Greeks. Various proposals were made to start an Olympic Games, and between 1870 and 1875, a Greek Olympic Games were held, with 30,000 people attending the 1870 ceremony. The Olympics were founded by Evangelos Zappas, a wealthy Greek who rebuilt the Panathenaic Stadium a stadium used for the Panathenaic Games. In 
the most important games for the citizens of Athens, though not nearly as important as the Olympic Games. Inspired by visiting the Wenlock Games in 1890, a wealthy French aristocrat called Baron Pierre de Coubertin founded the IOC, or International Olympic Committee. During the first meeting of this committee, it was decided that the first Olympic Games would be held in Athens at the Panathenaic Stadium. The 1896 Games were the largest contest of its type held so far, and generally seen as a great success. Indeed, many athletes wanted the Games to be held in Athens in another four years, though the IOC rejected this as they had already awarded the Games to Paris. The Parisian Games are perhaps the most unusual in history, mostly due to the unusual events contested for the only time in the history of the Games. Automobile and motorcycle racing, ballooning, cricket, croquet, a 200 meters swimming obstacle race and underwater swimming. This was also the only Olympic Games in history to use live animals, pigeons, as targets during the shooting event. My favorite story of the Games is the cricket event, which consisted only of a British team playing against the French team. The French team, however, were made up exclusively of British expats. After a decline in interest in the 1904 Olympics and the semi-official 1906 Olympics, holding the Games in the great imperial capital of the world, London, helped to boost the 1908 Games. The Games are also of interest due to the fact the modern marathon length was codified here. The first Olympic marathon in 1896 was a male-only race, and raced at a distance of 25 miles. The new marathon distance was chosen to ensure that the race finished in front of the box occupied by the British royal family, pushing the distance to 26 miles and 385 yards. At the six Olympic Games between 1900 and 1920, the marathon was raced over six different distances. But after the 1920 Olympics, it was decided that the marathon would be over the length ran in London. The games up until this point were entirely amateur, leading to many criticisms of elitism, as only the upper class were able to afford to train and practice for free. Athletes could have their medals revoked for being professional, as happened in the 1912 Olympics in Stockholm, which were the first to meet Du Coubertin's dream of having all five continents represented at the Olympics. All-rounder Jim Thorpe, who won both the decathlon and pentathlon, had previously played a few games of baseball for a fee, and saw his medals stripped for this breach of amateurism after some complaints. The most famous, or perhaps infamous Olympics in the first half of the 20th century was the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. 
Jesse Owens, a black American, won four gold medals at the Olympics, a record for that point, and one of the greatest achievements in sport. Winning the 100, 200, 4 by 100 meters, and the long jump. Contrary to public belief, Hitler did not snub Owens. On the first day of the Games, Hitler shook hands with only German winners. And on the second day, the president of the IOC said to Hitler he should shake hands with all the winners or none. Hitler chose none. Indeed, some do claim that Hitler did in fact shake hands with Owens behind closed doors. And a rumour still circulates that Owens carried a photo of himself shaking hands with Hitler for years afterwards. Though there is no evidence this happened. Perhaps the real tragedy was, after the Olympics, when Owens had gone home to a ticker tape parade, he had to use the back door entrance and use the freight elevator to get to the celebration honouring him at the Waldorf Astoria as he wasn't allowed to use the main entrance. Furthermore, Owens was to never meet President Roosevelt, and he once said, quote, Hitler didn't snub me. It was our president who snubbed me. The president didn't even send me a telegram. Close quotes. After a break for the Second World War, the games continued. In 1952, the Soviet Union entered for the first time, with the team of, get this, full-time amateur athletes. Which doesn't sound like a loophole at all. The USSR entered a team of athletes who were all nominally students, soldiers or working in professions, but many of whom were in reality paid by the state to train on a full-time basis. Though I suppose that's what you get for making stupid rules in the first place. The rest of the 20th century Olympics can be seen through the eyes of politics and the Cold War. The 1956 Olympics were marred by the so-called blood-in-the-water match of the quarter-final water polo match between the USSR and the Hungarians. The USSR had just invaded Hungary, and with tensions running high, the match descended into farce, with punches and kicks between the two teams. By the final minutes of the match, Hungary were leading 4-0, and Hungarian player Zadar was marking a Soviet named Propfikov, with whom he had already exchanged words. Propfikov struck him, causing a bleeding gash. Zador left the pool, and his bleeding was the final straw for a crowd already in a frenzy. Many angry spectators jumped onto the concourse beside the water, shook their fists, shouted abuse, and spat at the Russians. To avoid a riot, police entered the arena and shepherded the crowd away. The images went around the world, and perhaps due to the black and white nature of TV and newspapers, or just embellishment, stories went around the world about how the Russians had turned the water red due to all the cuts they'd inflicted on the Hungarians. Though it should be remembered, the Hungarians had the last laugh, as they won for zero.
1968 games were famous for the Black Panther salute, where Tommy Smith and John Carlos made a protest gesture on the podium against the segregation in the United States. While the 1972 games are probably the worst moment in the modern Olympic movement's history. A Palestinian terrorist group named Black September invaded the Olympic village and broke into the apartment of the Israeli delegation. They killed two Israelis and took nine others as hostage. The terrorists demanded that Israel release numerous prisoners. And when the Israeli government refused their demand, a tense standoff ensued while negotiations continued. Eventually the captors, still holding their hostages, were offered safe passage and taken to an airport, whereupon they were ambushed by German security forces. In the firefight that followed, 15 people, including the nine Israeli athletes and five of the terrorists, were killed. Following the Soviet Union's 1979 invasion of Afghanistan, 66 nations, including the US, Canada, West Germany and Japan, boycotted the 1980 Games in Moscow. In 1984, the Soviet Union and 13 Soviet allies reciprocated by boycotting the Los Angeles Games. Starting in 1988, professionalism was allowed in the Olympics. The IOC let each sport decide if they wanted to professionalise, and many did, leading to an increase in athletic performance and enhancing the reputation of the Olympics as the pinnacle of sport. With the huge repercussions and impact on hosting, what with the enormous cost, the Olympics today have become somewhat tainted with stories of corruption and waste to say nothing of the athletes as drug rumours follow almost all the most successful athletes, even if there has been no positive tests. In recent years, the Russians, like the Soviets before them, have tried to game the system. Before professionalism was allowed, they had full-time amateurs. Then the Russians, recently, were caught of mass doping. Even with all the scandals and controversy, the Olympic Games remain above any other event on the planet as a sporting contest or cultural event, just as it was in ancient Greece. The importance of the Olympic Games on the host country is hard to understate. Being in the UK during the 2012 Olympics really did give people a special feeling. I had a tour of the Olympic site in 2011 and so I saw the so-called spiralling budget the tabloids like to report on, and saw just how over-exaggerated some of it was. As the government, in all its wisdom, decided to lump all the regeneration work that was happening around the Olympic site in with the budget for the Games, making it look massively inflated. Much of this work would not have happened without the Olympics, and the regeneration of a large part of London that happens with nearly every Olympics, summer or winter, is something that must be taken into account when we look at the Olympic Games. Waiting for hours to get one sight of the Olympic torch as it ran through my local city, waiting for the clock to tick down to the Olympic opening ceremony, 
and the joy of watching the opening ceremony and watching as much of the Home Olympics as possible was really a special time. The sheer variety in cultural differences between the 203 visiting countries is going to have a lasting effect and may well bring us new and undiscovered sports or cultures to watch. To put simply, to let as many countries as possible share the cultural, economic and world recognition that the Olympics can provide is always a good thing. The Olympic Games are so prestigious because it brings together the best athletes of every single country, but also brings viewers and fans together. The whole world watches the same event at the same time, watching people share the same values of athletic competition. The five continents brings us to the meaning of the Olympic flag and the Olympic rings. The five rings, of course, represent the five continents, and they are interlaced with each other to represent the universality of the Olympics and the bringing together of athletes across the world during the Olympic Games. Each ring does not represent any particular continent, but the idea behind the flag is that it contains all the colours that appear on most national flags around the world, symbolising unity and bringing every country together under one flag, even if it's just for a fortnight. That is the main idea of the Olympic Games, bringing people together. Whether it was the ancient games or the modern games, the Olympic spirit lives on. And so, for both the impact of the ancient and the modern Olympic Games, the Olympic Games are listed as my 99th greatest invention of all time. <laughs>